Welcome to the Find Your Awesome Podcast. My name is Kelsey Abbott, and I'm your host. I'm a transformational leader and an instigator of joy, and I use human design, professional coaching, and intuition to help people relax into their true essence so they can experience more ease, joy, and abundance. I am so glad you're here. Thank you so much for listening. You know, a friend recently asked me, so what came out of your massive rebirth in 2021? And of course that question is really hard to answer, but the first thing that came through to me for me is this ability to, I've upgraded my ability to really, truly stand in my own truth, be me in a totally relaxed, softened, open way in every situation. You know what? And I find those words totally disappointing. It's more of a feeling. It's like a softening and an opening and a truth knowing. I'll work on this. I'll try and come up with a better way to describe it, but that's all I've got for you right now. So here we are. The day this episode airs is, well, we'll be two days out from the start of the new year in human design. Human design new year starts on January 22nd. So right now we're going through a bit of a thing, a bit of a bumpy road. I picture it as like we're riding in wagons, like Oregon trail style wagons and on a bumpy road. And for some people that bumpy road is really uncomfortable for some people, like things are flying out of the wagons and some people are like, Oh my God, my China, my pillow. And they're grabbing those things. And other people are like, Oh, huh, look, had no idea that was in there. Sweet. Good riddance. It's all in your perspective. It's all in letting it go, which I know is way harder than I'm making it sound right now. And that's why it's super helpful to work with a skilled coach. And if you want to work with me, this was not my plan. That was not a setup, just so you know. But if you do want to work with me, go to KelseyAbbott.com. I am currently accepting applications for long-term coaching clients. And if you want just a taste of working with me, or you know that you just need like one session to get through this one block, I'm offering mini sessions, which are 30 minutes long and full sessions, which are a full 60 minutes long. You can get all of that links in the show notes. And still, of course, you can get a human design reading with me and you can also get that link in the show notes. It's all at KelseyAbbott.com. Now we're coming into this new year. I have no idea what's coming for us, but fresh energy is coming on the 22nd. So allow what needs to bounce out of your wagon, bounce out with love and blessing and so much gratitude. Now let's talk about this week's guest, Mo Barrett. When I first learned of Mo's existence, I was like, yes, who is this human? I need, I need to hang out with her. She just sounds so fun. And I love the way she talks and I, she's an incredible storyteller. And you know what? The truth is her energy just feels really good. So I'm so excited to share her with you. Officially, she's a quirky anecdotist. She's not an anarchist. She's a quirky anecdotist. And you will learn what that means 
when you listen to this episode. I hope you enjoy it. I hope your life is filled with quirks, your own and others. I love you so much. May this next week be filled with love and joy and ease and play and magic and miracles. Go forth and be awesome. Mo, I am so excited to do this with you. And I am going to tell you something before we get started that I think I emailed to you in that email that didn't get sent. When you were pitched to me, the person, your publicist sent me the link to your TED talk. It was the first time. Yeah, I am confessing this right now. I think it's the first time I've watched a TED talk when someone has sent it to me. That's actually not even publicist. It's also like maybe period. I found my way to TED talks other times, but yeah, something was like, watch this. I, and and I did that within like five minutes of receiving the email. These wow. things are never heard of from me. Never, ever. <laughs> but the universe was like, open this email. Oh my God, you need to open this email. And then I was like, watch this, watch this. And then I'm watching your TED talk and I'm just like, well, obviously this is why you pushed me to this. Yes. This is a holy <laughs> hell. Yes. I need to meet this human and I need to play with her. So I am so, I glad, am so glad. I am so glad. You are an amazing storyteller. Your, your energy is so juicy and playful and yeah, I just needed, needed to be in that energy. So welcome. I'm so Thank glad you. Here. I am excited to be in your energy. So this is perfect. This is perfect. Good. We can just like make it <laughs> this juicy ball of energy right now. I hope everyone I'm listening I'm in. is basking in I'm it. In. <laughs> Love it. So let's start out. Let's start out where we're supposed to start because I don't think we're going to go anywhere we're supposed to go after this. Excellent. That's awesome. And that that's how did you get here. Who are you? Can you just introduce yourself, please? I can. I can. I am Mo Barrett. I am a 3-5 generator with emotional authority who has no idea what that means, but is excited to find out. Um, yeah, so I'm a retired Air Force colonel. I am the last of six kids. I'm here um, finding out the things that I am passionate about and just diving in deep in those things and kind of, um, like I think you say all the time, stumbling along my puppy paws and, and just trying to get out of my own way and just follow where the energy feels good. And I get in that flow state. So um, I'm just, I am, I tell you what, I'm just excited to be able to, to speak and to talk and to write and to share stories and um, just make a difference the best way I can. What is the difference you want to make? I want to make people laugh. And I always say I want to make people laugh, learn and think, but in that order. And laughter is really important to me. Um, And, you know, I've, I've always, like, whether I'm telling a joke or whether I'm telling a story that has a funny anecdote, and I've always, like, I can, as long as I can remember, trying to make people laugh. That was has always been important to me. It's a, it's a very high value for me. But so I want to make people laugh, learn, and think in that order. Mm. If, what, would, what would little Mo have said about that? What did she <laughs> want to be when she grew up? I don't know if I cycled through all the, um, I want to be a cowboy and all this, but I will tell you. So I, I knew early on that I was going to be a storyteller. I just didn't know what it looked like. And I know this because I would ask my mom and dad how they met. And I would say, dad, 
how did you and mom meet? And he would tell this beautiful story about the first time he set eyes on my mom and she was a cashier at Sears and he just saw her and just stumbled over his words, couldn't get out the words to talk to her. So he just kind of bought a tool and left and went back the next day, same thing, couldn't talk, bought a tool, left. And he went back every day for a week and finally worked up the courage to talk to this beautiful woman. I mean, he this thing has got a soundtrack by John Williams underneath it. There's lighting, there's character development, there's plot thickening, it's awesome. And, and he talks about, went for a whole week and then finally asked her out. I was like, that's a beautiful story. Said, mom, how did you and dad meet? Mom can barely stay awake during the version of her meeting. And it's like, yeah, this guy came by, I don't know, every day, five, six, seven days, never said anything, finally asked me out to lunch. And I went with it. I'm thinking, how did the two of you get together? But I thought, if I ever have a story, I want to be like my dad. Like, I want to tell that story, even if it's about how two people met. And it also reminds me that there are two different versions, at least, of every, like the way his side, her side, and the truth, right? So there are always these multiple versions and perspectives because I'm sure somebody in the tool department at Sears in Hawaii maybe saw this interaction and they have their version of that story. But when I look at my mom's version and my dad's version, I always want to be the kind of storyteller that just is dramatic and it's just about meeting you know but I, I think I think I've always known that there's power in how you relay facts about an event and and so I've known early on that I wanted to be a storyteller and just using the anecdotes from everyday life and uncover that magic in the mundane mm. though that was just so good I I <laughs> like I want to know I want to talk to your dad I want to know more yeah. That's... He is. He, yeah. Yeah. He's crazy. He was crazy. He's passed, but he's crazy. But there's a lot of stories about him in my book. But yeah, he would approve. Oh, good. Let's before I for because I'm going to forget to ask you just okay. get, let's get it out right now. What's the title of your book? Okay. It's called Pardon My Quirk Anecdotes to Make You Laugh, Learn and Think. Hmm. Thank you. All right. We'll make sure to wrap <laughs> that up at the end. But like, OK, <laughs> don't worry. That. Don't worry. <laughs> Um, what does quirk mean to you? Quirk is the thing that makes us different. And quirk is no longer the thing. I always thought that quirk was you had to suppress it. And now I think completely opposite. I think the quirk is what you need to embrace and leverage. And that's what I say. Name your quirk, figure out what it is, because we get one one pass at this thing. And, and as we go about humaning, I think that's the word you use, which I like. I like any word that has a red squiggle underneath it when you type it out. So um, <laughs> as we're all humaning about, I think I love, I, I love the chance to figure out what makes us all unique because there's only one Kelsey Abbott, there's only one Mo Barrett, and thank God for that, right? Because I think the world would explode if they had two of us because yes. we, yes. we're just too powerful. It's too much. Too much, too much juicy ball of energy. <laughs> and this is why you're drawn to human design. This is why. Yes. Because that is, it was the missing piece for me and my way of thinking. I remember when I was a little kid, I just wanted to scream at everyone and be like, we're all different. We all do things differently. The world looks different to everyone. And I didn't yep. have the tools really to say anything beyond that. So like eventually found my way to human design and was like, see, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you did too. I'm definitely booking a session with you because I, I'm fascinated by it and I'm fascinated about learning how that. I mean, just like like I said, when I when I did the assessment on your site and then I got my chart, I was like, I felt like I was back in the cockpit of the plane, the second plane I flew in the Air Force, and I'm like, 
I don't know what any of this stuff means. It was all hieroglyphics and I can't wait to decode it with you. Yeah. Um, and as one of my friends says, she was like, it all looks like alien to me and you speak alien. So I speak alien, yeah. but yeah. only well, this we'll need a translator. Alien. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So back to quirk, what's your quirk okay. or what are your quirks? Cause do you really uh, only have one? No, I don't think anybody has just one. Um, my quirks are, um, I don't know exactly what they look like, but connection is important to me. And I always say when I'm walking down the street and I'm passing people, I don't always interact with them. Like you saw the two bulldogs on the trail this morning. Um, if they have a dog, I'm interacting. A baby, maybe not so much. But every time I pass somebody on the street or when I'm walking, I always think if I had to interact with that person and have a conversation, what would I start it with? And I always find that one thing, a connection, like whether it's the hat they're wearing, the shirt they're wearing, the kind of shoes they're wearing, um, anything unique about them. Every time I pass somebody, I'm thinking, if I had to start a conversation, how would I connect with that person? Like, what was the first thing I would mention? So connection is really important to me. Um, laughter and humor are obviously important to me. Um, intellectual curiosity is important to me. So those, I, I, I call them maybe my values, but I, I call them my quirks because the combination of my values, I think is what makes me unique and is how I contribute to the world. So that connection piece is in your chart. Um, is it that, really? Yeah. That desire to connect and ability to connect. And that's, oh, right. I told you when I emailed you, we have, we both have this gift of deep connection and it's this what happens when two people with this gift come together? It's like, we both have these golden strings and they weave together and oh, become cool. this rope and it connects heart to heart. So Ooh, right now our hearts are interwoven together. And then that's why, like, I don't know what we're going to continue to talk about throughout this episode, but holy moly, it's going to be pure magic because it comes from two hearts woven together. Now, is that what the emotional authority means or is that a separate? It happens to be our emotional authorities that we have the same one. We have the same emotional wave. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's so cool. Isn't there something too, like, um, you know, being a speaker, they talk about a lot of times if you, if you can get the audience engaged and you're connected with them, like over time, the heartbeats will all be in sync. Isn't there something like that? Oh, I don't know, but that's amazing. Not that we can do a pulse check right now like this, yeah, but I just, I just yeah. like when you're connected with somebody and that, man, that's a powerful feeling too. Just like, It makes sense. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. if people who menstruate tend to sync that up together, we tend to sync breathing up with our partners and our mm -hmm. animals and yeah, our gut yeah. microbes are the same as the organisms right. that we live with. Yeah. The heartbeat syncing makes sense as well. Yeah. I don't know. Something I heard. I have oh. no facts to back that up. Well, I like <laughs> so it. <almost> true. <laughs> no one Perfect. is debating it right now. So yeah, I don't hear it anything. Is the, nope. It is our truth. Um, <laughs> I, how old were you or at what point did you start doing that? Like when you're walking down the street, what could I say to this person to start a conversation? Do you remember? I don't remember a specific I don't remember. I mean, I just remember always doing it. It doesn't always work well, but I, I mean, I, I think I've always 
thought that in my head. And I think over time I learned to kind of filter maybe. Uh, so this is, we were working with this PR firm, uh, one of the jobs I had in the Air Force, we were working with this PR firm and it was very uppity, you know, like I don't have to worry about how I dress because we had uniforms, but really, really well kept this one woman was at the head of like, she was in like the top three of this PR firm. And I remember we walked in and just, just older, dignified woman always just looked all prim and proper. And we go in for a meeting and she had this big, um, I get what it's called a brooch, but it was a rabbit. And so again, this is before I really learned to put my filter. I said, I said, Oh, Judy, I said, you've, you've got a little hair on your chest. (laughs) I cracked myself up and her eyes. I mean, it was like, just not the right place to say that. I mean, I thought it was funny as hell, but, and she looks down and she goes, Oh, Mo, you know, and then we got on with the meeting. I'm like, I wish I could crawl under this table, but I, I stand by that joke and that decision, and I'm glad I said it, but um, um, I've always kind of looked at how can I connect with that person if I had to. Um, I think the thing that I've developed over time is my filter. <laughs> I feel so seen right now, Mo, because I would have been like, bunny! <laughs> Happy Easter, everyone! <laughs> and it also would have been completely inappropriate. Yes. Well, then we could have we could have hung out together. Then that would have been a much more fun meeting. <laughs> we could have. So uh, tell me, how does how did you end up in the Air Force? How did that happen? Um, someone told me I couldn't get in. <laughs> you know, motivated motivated by the no. Um, so my dad was in World War II in the Army Air Corps. My brother was in the Air Force, and so I always knew it was going to go to the Air Force. It was just the path to get there um, was a little bit unclear. And I saw a video for the Air Force Academy during high school. And so I ran down to my guidance counselor's office because that's what we're supposed to do is seek counsel from our guidance counselors. And I told him I was going to apply to the Air Force Academy. And he laughed at me and told me I wasn't good enough. My grades weren't high enough. My SAT scores weren't, um, you know, good enough to get in. And then I would never get in. And I didn't the first time. But I tried again and I was able to get in and... Then, I, of course, then after the first year when I got back in, I went back in my uniform, went to see um, my guidance counselor. And he's like, oh, I always knew you'd get in. I'm like, man, come on. <laughs> but, yeah, a lot of it, a lot of it was because I wanted to follow my um, my dad and my brother's footsteps. But some of it was motivated by the no. Was there also an aspect of, like, did you have this deep desire to fly planes? So, I, you know... <laughs> Every time you talk to a pilot, I love it when they have these stories of like, you know, I was a kid and I was laying on the grass on my back and looking up in the sky and this plane flew over and I told my dad, someday I'm going to be a pilot. And I love those stories, but I'm also jealous of them because I don't have a story like that. Mine was just, I just kept saying yes to opportunities and then I worked hard to get to make the yes a reality. Um, So... I was at the Air Force Academy and I struggled to get in there. I struggled to stay in there and um, pilot training slots. There used to be like a thousand slots. And the day before our junior year, they said only 225 of you were going to get slots. And um, it was just it was just a force shaping decision the Air Force had made. And thank God I had busted my butt and worked as hard as opposed to doing the bare minimum. And so my grades were good enough. And again, it was an opportunity that presented itself. I threw my name in the hat and I just kept working hard. Got into pilot training, struggled through that, kept working hard, and then the rest is kind of in the cockpit. So, And I read a story that you shared yesterday about how 
it was after your freshman year at Air Force Academy. You had to choose whether to fly the planes or jump out of the planes, right? Yep. How did you make that decision? There's no way in hell I was going to jump out of a plane. <laughs> you ever jumped out of a plane? One time, by my, I say quotes, my friends uh, for my 23rd birthday bought me a tandem jump. And so not only did I go out of a plane without a parachute, I mean, the guy behind me that was strapped to me was the one who had a parachute. Like, I didn't even have a parachute. I was, but that's the only time I've left a plane um, when it was still airborne. So that's, that's, those are friendships for you right there. <laughs> I did <laughs> it. it. I actually gave my husband for his birthday, um, I don't know. Maybe it was like 10 years ago. We went uh -huh. skydiving tandem jumps. Did yeah, you, same. you both did. Mm -hmm. Did you enjoy it? Um, it was funny. So first of all, we're in the plane and all the guys are like the whole skydiving team is like, have you ever seen anything more beautiful? And I was kind of like, well, I've been in a plane before. <laughs> and, <laughs> and actually I find it really beautiful being at the bottom of the ocean where the sun mm. can still reach. And then actually the, the moment before the jump loved it because I found, I call it the holy shit moment. It's the moment you're yep. like, holy shit. Yep. We're doing this. And then you're out. And then I'm really glad I did it. I didn't mm. not like it, but it didn't blow me away. And yeah. caveat, I'm pretty sure I had pneumonia because I had, I got pneumonia the next day. Oh gosh. So it may have had some, like that may have had something to do with it. I may not have been yeah. feeling my best. Yeah. Did Pete like it? Yes. He loved it. Has he done it again since? No, I don't think either of okay. us really need to do it again. Yeah. Like, okay, good. Yeah. yeah. So, you're, so you're obviously scuba certified though. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I Where don't do that that much though. He, Pete does that yeah. a ton. Cool. Where do you, well, like, where'd you get certified and where do you, where's your favorite place to dive? Oh, I got certified in Connecticut. <laughs> Not my favorite place to dive. What, would you have like a five millimeter wetsuit on and a sweater yeah, and gloves? And <laughs> visibility was like, you had to hold on to the yellow rope. Otherwise you were going to get lost in this lake in Connecticut oh, gosh, in yeah. March. Yeah. yeah they say, yeah. if you learn to dive in, in uh, New England, you can dive anywhere. Yeah. Now, have you, you've gotten some better dives with better visibility and warmer temperatures then? Yeah. I like to dive in warm places like the Caribbean. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Nice. No need to I remember anywhere I, else. I, I got scuba certified in Honduras. And um, so I look at my dive records and I'm talking to my friends and they're like, oh yeah, we had 50 feet of vis today. And I'm like, okay. So I go back and I look at my, my dive record. I'm like, visibility, 120 feet, unhappy face, right? <laughs> Just like, like, I remember being 60 feet down, rolling over on my back and watching a, watching the clouds go by above so like 60 feet down in that visibility and can still see just clear as day so like yeah i'm probably a warm water diver as well <laughs> yeah so okay becoming a pilot what is that like it uh, to me it it's it's awesome i mean i i, I love the a lot of it i, I kind of get caught up in the the whole the Wright brothers like I think about these two brothers at Kitty Hawk Hill you know in, in Kitty Hawk North Carolina and having this idea and making it work and making it happen and then I'm I'm a beneficiary of like all of us are most of us are beneficiaries of of what they did and so a lot of times I'm I'm more in awe of what the plane and what flying represents and it's a privilege to get to do that and so the second plane I flew in the Air Force operationally 
was a big cargo plane. And one of the, I mean, it, there's all these facts about the plane, how many ping pong balls and how many like 3 million tortillas it can carry. But the coolest thing about the C-5 is that the Wright brothers first flight could have happened inside the plane. Like that's the, the, the cargo compartment of the C-5 could have contained the the length of the first Wright brothers. So, so like I would always think about like, what an awesome privilege and responsibility um, to be certified to do this, to be trained to do this. But as far as the actual becoming a pilot, the military, just like anything else, like when you go through human design chart reading, like it's all Greek at first, but you you learn and you have mentors and you have instructors and you have books and you have training. And over time, what was once overwhelming and confusing is not that not that you take it for granted, but but you're much you can do it much faster and much easier now. Like in pilot training, as with any other training, is the same kind of concept where you have mentors, you have instructors, you have a path, you have a training. You, it's repetition, it's hard work, and it's it's desire too. Because if you don't enjoy it, probably not going to go so well for you. But and it feels like learning to fly. The stakes might be a little higher than learning to read someone's chart. I could make the argument that it's not, but um, you could absolutely, but, but yeah, on a physical I, I, level, it seems yes, a little yes. scarier to be yes. up in the air in, yeah. in something that is not just your body. Yeah, no fair. And, but again, the training we get, I mean, everything is you're prepared for those kind of things. So when, if, or when something goes wrong, you have pre thought about it. So again, you've, you've kind of run through those what ifs. And then there's checklists in place and there's a crew concept and it's a team effort. So, um, but yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Yes. <laughs> we are responsible for people. Yeah. Um, it, it, tell me more about your path in the air force. What did you, I think I said this to you before we hit record that you needed to, to experience your whole time in the air force to learn a bunch of things, to collect a bunch of stories so that yeah. you can be the storyteller you are now even though it sounds like you started out as a storyteller at a very young age, or at least made the decision to be a storyteller at a very young age. So what was it? What information, what, what gold did you collect in your time in the air force that you now feel driven to share with the world? I think the number one thing I got from the air force, two things, the number two things, the, the, the most important thing I got, from the military in general is confidence. Confidence in myself and confidence in the people I'm working with, um, that they're gonna pull their part and I'm gonna pull my part and together we're gonna be synergistically better than we are individually. But the other thing, and I don't know if it's number two or number one, but um, how to fail. Like I call myself a successful failure because was it Thomas Edison? Somebody said basically, when he went to whoever invented light bulb, Thomas Edison, we can fact check that later, but yeah, it was, you know, it took him like 2000, 2000 tries. Right. But he said, they're like, well, how does it feel to have failed 1,999 times? He goes, I didn't, I found 1,999 ways not to make a light bulb. And I think that's a great perspective and a great way to look at what we otherwise call failure in that we are not setting, we're not accomplishing what we set out to do, but it's what you do with that. And to me, what I learned is how to be a successful failure and, and I mean it in the most positive of ways. And so it's what you do with those setbacks that that can really set you further forward. Mm, I agree a million percent. How yeah. was it? I couldn't answer this question necessarily. So um, 
I'm just going to throw it your way. How was it to learn that? What did it look like to learn how to be a successful failure? <laughs> so, um, kind of the, the story you were referring to earlier was um, when I first went into the airplane um, and you, you kind of go again, you go through phases. So when I'm still a cadet, I was a freshman. Uh, so freshman, you know, the freshman year of college and I'm flying with a grown adult and I'm going to do these confidence maneuvers in the plane. And the long and short of it is that as we are doing this maneuver, which the nose basically just drops out of the sky, um, I grabbed his leg. And so I, and when I had grabbed his leg, I didn't realize that I had until he kind of was like, you okay? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, like real snotty. And he looks down at his lap and there's my hand on his leg. Um, and that's just not appropriate. And it's just not the reputation I'm trying to, to instill in my, uh, my future in the Air Force. And so for me, that it, really, it's not a traumatic failure, but that's not something I want to repeat. So it's a matter of, okay, how do I put that in my experience bank of something that I did that I don't want to repeat? Now, I'm a slow learner, so the next plane that I flew two years later, I did the exact same thing. I grabbed my, that different instructor, different plane, uh, I grabbed his leg. And again, it's like, okay, each iteration, I'm learning something different about the plane in my response to what we're doing in the plane. And spoiler alert, the third plane I flew after I became an officer, when I'm still training, I grabbed that instructor's leg. So I have a leg grabbing span of three <laughs> instructors, three different planes in about five years. Um, but again, it's it's what do you do with that experience? And whether it's a an honest mistake or whether it's just a, a faux pas like that, it's how do I not do that? Like what what caused me to do it? And so I'm a very reflective person too. So it's like, okay, how do I feel about that? Write it down. Don't want to do that again. Why did I do it in the first place? Okay, how do I? And so the next time that confidence maneuver comes up, I'm like, okay, last time I did this, I grabbed a guy's leg. I don't want to do it. So I'll sit on my hands. But then you're learning a new move and that caused me to grab his legs. Okay, I'm not going to do that. You know, so it's it's constantly applying the, the lessons and repeating the things you want to repeat and preventing the things you don't want to repeat. <laughs> Yeah, it makes sense. It's a lot like um, athletics, like yeah, reflecting on every workout. What did I do well? What could I improve? Right. And then also visualization. Like, I don't know if you use that in water polo or, you know, core work and stuff like that, but thinking through, you know, reflecting back and thinking and visualizing forward um, that the things that, you know, the steps that you're going to take. And also we talked about when something goes wrong in the plane, you've already pre-thought through those things too. You know, that's an interesting thing that you bring up because um, it's something that I did it in high school. Our swim team did visualization always. And when I first started my business, I led people through visualizations. I would make recordings for people before races and stuff. Uh-huh. I used it for myself once, had the race that I had visualized. I found it so boring. I... <laughs> never did it again. Then it was like five years later, I learned human design, learned that that whole avenue is not for me, but it's for hmm. you. It's yeah. in like, it works best for you. Not, not for me. Interesting. So you said you were bored, you were bored with the race because you had already done it basically. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I was bored and disappointed because I was like, kind of like if I had all this power to have the race pan out pretty much exactly as I planned. Should I have, you know, gone for faster? Should I uh, yeah, should have visualized better? <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but yeah, I, I finished and I was like, huh. Yep. <laughs> I did it. It was like I'd already read the book and I read it again and was like, still ended the same way. <laughs> the Titanic still sank. Yes, okay. still sank. Still sank. <laughs> and the movie wasn't any better. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> That's interesting. So I want to talk about this leg gra- grabbing thing. <laughs> okay. Um, how because that's an involuntary response, right? So how do you? I, well, I hope I'm, so. Yes, yeah, so I'm assuming it is. <laughs> how did you? I understand, like you're reflecting on it. You're like things I want to do well, things I, I don't want to do again. But like, okay, and you sit on your hands, except that you actually are going to need your hands at some point. Yep. How did you actually stop doing it? A couple things. So first of it is that conscious and, and you're right. It's, it's, it's knowing that that involuntary response is um, possible and, and possibly repeatable. Uh, but the other, and what I love about the story too, is the analogy is at some point it only happened when my instructor was demonstrating the confidence maneuver, because at some point I have to put the plane in the stall. At some point I have to be the one doing the recovery. So at some point I'm flying the plane and my hands are otherwise occupied. Like I have a hand on the throttle and a hand on the yoke. So at some point I'm in control as opposed to he's doing, you know, the, the instructor is doing the maneuvers and the recovery and I'm just kind of a spectator. And so my hands will just go where they want to go apparently. But at some point, and what I like about this story is that at some point I have to put the hands on the controls and I'm responsible for putting the plane in that situation. And I'm responsible for getting the plane out of that, re- that situation. So that's how, that's really how we overcame it is that I, I got in control. So, I mean, the, the analogy is, you know, we take control and whether that's actual take control of the throttles and the yoke or just taking control of the situation and saying, okay, I'm going to be the one who puts us in this situation and I'm going to be the one to recover us from this situation. So that makes sense. That, yeah. All right. I'm with you. I'm with you. All right, cool. So, so, far, so, <laughs> so you want people to laugh, learn, think. We'll mm-hmm. get why you want people to laugh. You said you've wanted to do that forever. What is it you want people to learn? And why are you passionate about helping people learn? I want people to learn that there are, and I call it magic in the mundane. Um, I remember walking and this, this was my, my proudest moment and also my kind of my, my pivotal moment. I remember walking toward a post office and walking toward me away from the post office was a mom. And then behind her was a little girl going, mommy, 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 wait up. I want to hold your hand. And the mom's just over her shoulder, just too busy. And she says, come on, honey, hurry up. We got to go. We got to go. And I'm thinking, again, I, I only have the four-legged kids. I don't have two-legged. And so I don't know what it's like to be that mom. I don't know. But I do empathize with the girl so I turned around and I grabbed her hand and I I said I'll hold your hand because someday your mom is going to be begging you to hold her hand and this kind of puffed up the girl like the girl was kind of like you know like somebody wanted to hold her hand I know she wanted really wanted her mom and I'm sure there's some element of stranger danger in there and you know some lesbian giving unsolicited parenting advice but by the time we caught up to the mom the mom's body just kind of got this resigned feeling of shoot that I have time to hold my daughter's hand. So she moves her mail, she grabs her daughter's hand, I let go and I walk off. And why I like that story and why that always resonates with me, it was the first moment I realized that A, 
I didn't have to know what it was like to be a parent of a two-legged dog. I didn't have to know what it was like to have a human kid. But there was an opportunity for that mom to be better, be a better mom in that moment. That was the opportunity that I presented. And so we don't all have to have um, walked in someone's shoes. I know we're supposed to walk a mile, you know, in someone's shoes, but we don't all have to have walked a mile in someone's shoes to understand how they could be better in that moment. You said you're a swimmer. I was a swimmer when I was like eight years old. My mom, who is afraid of the water, born and raised in Hawaii on an island surrounded by water, but could not swim, was just would get hives at the thought of going in a pool, was my best swim coach. Um, because she could see things that I couldn't see. And she could probably see things differently and explain it to me in a way that no other swim coach could. Same thing. I Again, I don't know what it's like for that mom, but I can provide a perspective that maybe makes her see an opportunity in that moment to be a better version of herself. And I think, so th your question is, is what do I want people to learn? I want, I want people to learn how to see opportunities in the mundane and just to be a better version. And sometimes it's just slowing down and realizing, hey, I, you know, I, I can be different in this moment. I can be better in this moment. And not because not I'm certified to treat anybody like that, because we can all learn from somebody else. But that, I mean, it's really that simple. It's no, no, nothing noble. It's just I think we can all be better versions of ourselves. Mm. And what I'm hearing as you say that is we can't read the label from inside the jar. <laughs> Good. Yep. We yep. not. I do not get credit for that phrase. I forget where I first heard it. But... I'm going to give you credit. Yep. <laughs> Kelsey Abbott said it here first or second. Sure. I don't know, but yep. <laughs> or like thousandth. But anyway, right. um, yeah, to just have to be able to pop out of our own experience and see it from the outside and see it yep. completely differently is so yep. powerful. Yeah. And I think it's hard to do. It's hard to separate yourself from it because you're you can try to separate, but you're still, there's still a connection that, that, you know, well, I know what my intent was in that moment. I know what I was thinking, but to have somebody else, um, not hold up a mirror for you, but to be the mirror for you, I think there's value in that. Mm, yeah. And that's really, there is a difference there, the not holding up the mirror, but be the mirror. Yeah. Mm. Again, back to you had to go through all of these experiences to be the storyteller and teacher and leader that you are today. Your soul knew you had to go collect a bunch of experiences because yeah. you're here to share them with everybody else. So you had to bounce around and like, yeah. as you call it, fail a million times. Yeah. So you could be relatable so you can reach people where they are. Yeah. That all makes sense to me from out here. All right. I, I'll, I'll buy it. I trust you. <laughs> no, and you're right. You're right. I mean, it's, there's, yeah. I, I And I'm happy for all the experiences. I'm happy for the bad experiences. I'm happy for the positive. It's, it's again, what do you do with it? You know, you can, you can keep it to yourself or you can share it. And, and even if people are just entertained by my leg grabbing or whatever, I'm fine. Cause you know, my goals are laugh, learn, think. So if you laugh, I'm good. If you learn something, even better. If you think about something beyond that, wow. <laughs> what are, so thinking now, what do you want people thinking about? I want them to think about ways that they can be better versions of what it is they're setting out to be. So in those moments, and that's the other thing too, is that um, one of the exercises I do is that I give people five minutes and I tell them to write for the entire five minutes all the thems that they are, like write down all the yous that you are. Because I think we forget that daughter 
neighbor, sibling, aunt, niece, cousin, you know, all these things that we have, landlord, employee, supervisor, subordinate, all these responsibilities. And each of those responsibilities, each of those roles has a responsibility. And sometimes we are better at one at the expense of the other. And I think we need to look at that. Um, I had one of the analogies that one of my bosses gave me one time is if you imagine each of those roles is a bucket and each day you get a, a finite amount of water and how you distribute your water is is up to you. So if you put a little bit of splash and we call it a peanut butter spread, you just kind of put a little bit, the equal amount in all the buckets, that's your choice, but that's the investment you've made in that bucket. Now, if you just keep pouring and wasting water and just pouring into one bucket, like your work bucket, well, your family bucket, your daughter bucket, all those other buckets suffer. And it's it's not the same every day. And even from moment to moment, you might have to say, I poured all this, water, this much water in my work bucket, but now something's come up over here. So you're taking the work bucket and you're investing that time. And we get this finite amount of time and how we spend it is important. I have friends that that bust their butt for 80 hours a week. And I'm like, why are you busting your butt? Well, so I can get all this money. I'm like, okay, what are you gonna do with the money? I'm gonna go on vacation. When are you gonna go on vacation? Well, when I get more money. And so it's like, you're you're busting this butt for a vacation that you don't have time to take because you're saving up and busting your butt for this vacation that you still, you know, it's like, it doesn't make sense to me. So, um, you know, it's, it's, um, it, it's what you do with all those roles and how you can be a better version of yourself. That's what I want people to think about. Like think about all the responsibilities we take on or are imposed upon us. Cause I don't know about you. I didn't choose to be a daughter. I was just kind of born into it. So, um, or a sister, no one, no one came to me and said, Hey, you got five siblings. So no one asked me about that. Um, my niece just had a baby. Nobody asked me if she, if I wanted to be a great niece or a great aunt, but, uh, you know, so, but, you know, we have all these responsibilities and, and what we do with it is, is, is our choice, but there are impacts for how much time we invest into one or the other. How did you get so wise? <laughs> I'm not wise at all. <laughs> you have uh, no, this, I don't. this like playful wisdom to you. Okay. I don't, I, you don't see it. I'm glad you see. No, no. Oh, it's so fun seeing seeing things that people don't see in themselves. So let's just talk about the playfulness. Okay. It seems to me like play is a big value of yours. Is it? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Has it always been? Yep. And was that April, Fool- April Fool's day was a national holiday in our house <laughs> with, with six kids. Well, mostly with me and my dad. So yeah. So my, my siblings are significantly older than me, but yeah, with me and my dad, like one year, my dad got up at four and switched the salt and the sugar and I got up at five and I switched the salt and the sugar. <laughs> so at breakfast, we were both, my dad would cut a watermelon in half and we would both share a watermelon and talk over breakfast and put a little sprinkle of sugar. And so surreptitiously when the other one wasn't looking, we were taking the salt shaker and both putting what we thought was sugar on our grapefruit. Cool. Come to find out we both put salt because we had switched it back, you know, so um, yeah, just stuff like that. Yeah, I, I love April Fool's Day. Well, I love pranks every day, but yeah. <laughs> what other pranks so have I, you done? Oh, Lord. When I was um, I was stationed in Germany and we were a small Air Force unit, but we were on uh, an army post. So we were in like this the, the land of the misfit units was with this one building. It was we were army there, Marines. It was all all joint. Um, but there was a door on either end and then in the front there were two doors <laughs> so i came in real early it's the only time i go in early to work and on the two end doors i put a sign that says door broken use other door and had an arrow pointing to the front then on the two front doors i said 
air, uh, door broken, use other door, and it was pointing to the door right next to it. And on that one, I had a sign that said, door broken, use other door, and the signs. So I had people, and I don't know why, I don't know why people came and accused me. I mean, it was accurate, but I don't know why the first assumption that it's me, right? But they come to me, they're like, I spent 15 minutes walking around the building today looking for another <laughs> way. Well, you know, it's April 1st. I don't know what to tell you. So, <laughs> so just stuff like that. Oh, that's a good one, though. Especially it feels like with people in the military who are used to following rules. Yeah. yeah. They'll do what Again, the sign I'm, says. I'm not, yeah. I'm, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. It, I, it was funny. I just I did a, um, a workshop, um, a, I don't know when it was, a couple of weeks ago. And it was for the military. And I don't know if you've ever heard of Lego Serious Play, but they have these little packets. Um, and each packet has the exact same pieces of Lego. So I have I have hundreds of bags of these exact same. It's got a wheel, a head, a, a tree, and, you know, the same yellow piece, whatever. So I, the way I use it is it's kind of analogous to we are all given a gift. And a lot of times there's a lot of similarity to the gifts we have. And it's all in this bag. And what we create with those gifts, with those attributes of us, is up to us. So I can make my own little structure. If, if Kelsey, you and I are sitting next to each other in a class, I can like, hey, I'll give you that wheel. We can put, we can make a whole wheel if we put our two wheels together or, you know, whatever. We could build something together or we can barter pieces. But what we do is up to us. So I'm at this military uh, class. And while they were at lunch, I took all the bags of Lego and I put one at each spot because I was I wanted them it, it you know appears out of nowhere and so they come back from lunch and I know they saw it because they're all touching it they're touching their back but nobody opened it because they were all waiting for permission and so lesson learned like to me that was a that was a speaker workshop failure because I was like well I had these whole points about what you do with your Lego bricks when you know you have them on your table and do you nothing I'm just like I go why didn't you guys open your bags they're like you, you didn't tell us we could like nobody even asked well, we thought you would tell us. I'm like, okay. So, you know, lesson learned, you know, in the military, people were waiting for permission. And I think that's, it's good and it's bad. There, It's good because there's a time for it, because at some point we're going to ask you to do things that might put your life on the line. But it's bad because if you see an opportunity or a chance to play or a chance to build or a chance to create, at least ask for permission or what's the worst that could have happened? You know, I, I, I don't know. I just, it, it was a really powerful lesson again. So to me, it was a workshop failure, but it was still an opportunity for me to learn and make it better the next time. So if I go to another military workshop and that, and I bring the Lego, you know, I'll do it differently. So, but yeah, that's fascinating. It kind yeah, of reminds was... me too of the concept of ask versus guest culture. Have you heard of that? No, ask versus guest. Okay. So it's like, ask culture says go ahead and ask for what you want go ahead and ask like you want to you're visiting new york and you want to stay with a friend there so you call up your friend and say hey can i stay with you this weekend mm -hmm. for people who don't come from ask culture they come from guest culture they'd be like how rude this person called and asked if they could stay with me and they can't and guest culture is more like you don't ask because you just assume that wow. the person would say no. And it, it like the two, there's so much clash between those two. And it's just yeah. people saying like, Hey, can I borrow your tractor today? And someone, one person is, feels comfortable being like, no, I'm using it. Yeah. No big deal. Like story over. Someone else is like, I can't believe she asked to borrow my tractor. Never heard of that. Wow. Mm -hmm. Interesting. 
It's so fascinating. Which, yeah. People are, people are fascinating. I know. Humans. Humans. Uh-huh. Do you ever just go to sit to an airport? But back when you can go to the airports and just sit. Do you yeah. ever go to an airport and just watch people? Well, I used to be a lifeguard. So that's kind of the oh. same. Like, you just watch people. Uh, yeah. But yeah, well, you had your you guys were in your when you guys were in your trailer. I mean, I, I was reading your I was reading some of Pete's blogs that he was writing about just the politics inside the the uh, the trailer park. Yeah, I get oh, it. Yeah, I this when we were going from campground to campground, this is where I learned that. Um, so I grew up in the woods and in Maine, we lived in the woods. I didn't know that I liked doing this, but in campgrounds, when you're walking around at night, everyone's got lights on in their campers. Very few people will have their shades down. And so you're constantly looking in other people's campers and you're like, look, they have like marble countertops in there. Like, (laughs) oh, look at they're watching this movie and you're just like snooping all the time. So, yeah. yeah, Well, they're asking for it if they have their lights on and their shades are up. So totally. And people have some really (laughs) fancy campers. Yeah. And I needed to know these things. There you go. <laughs> okay. Where do we want to go now? I, I'm curious, Mo, this is a question I used to ask on the podcast always, and I haven't asked it for a while, but I want to ask you, what is the scariest thing you've ever done? Well, aside from letting my friends put me on a plane and push me out, <laughs> I, I mean, Wow, that is a good question. I I think it's it's tough for me to answer because some of the scariest moments I've been in weren't of my doing. I mean, like, so I was initially what came to my mind was I was flying a um, a small turboprop plane in South America, and we were flying into Honduras, and we ended up getting caught in between two massive thunderstorms. And the plane was shaking, so we were losing 200 feet of altitude. Like we'd just lose 200 feet up, 200 feet down, and we couldn't even read the gauges. And it was one of those things where you just set the power, tightened your your uh, five point harness, your seatbelt, and just had to ride it out. Like that was scary to me, but it wasn't like I got myself. It's not like, hey, I want to see how I would do if I flew in between two massive thunderstorms. It wasn't like I put myself in that situation. So a lot of times when somebody asks a question, what's what's the scariest thing you've done? It's because you've had to overcome that fear and have the courage to do that because you put yourself in a situation. But so I'm going to rephrase your question. And the question I'm going to answer is the scariest moment I've been in. It was in Honduras when I was in uh, severe turbulence. And how did you, did you just write it out? Oh yeah, it sucked. But yeah, just, you set the power on the throttles. You have all this faith in the, in the, uh, in the airframe and you just got to wait till you get spit out the other side. But how long did it take? It felt like hours, but it was probably maybe 15 minutes, but it, it sucks. I I hate turbulence. I hate the unseen things that cause disruption, you know, because I'm a very logical, I think I'm a logical person. So like, I want to be able to say like, this happened because of this and this and this, like not just there was air pockets and convection and stuff that tossed our plane around. So that's, it's hard for me to deal with. And yeah, that's actually the logic. That's actually the explanation. It's not good enough for me, though. No, I need to. I need to know what's going to happen. I need to know how long it's going to last. And yeah, so that knowing how long it's going to last, I find so fascinating. This is really it's because I think all humans have it that like, oh, I can tolerate this if like, oh, you tell me there's two more months of this. Okay, like you Uh, know, I hurt something. It's going to take two months to heal. Okay. 
versus I heard something. How long is it going to take? I don't know. As long <laughs> as my high school English teacher would say, as long as a piece of string. In other words, as long as it takes. Yeah. Yeah. So you do you do OK with the uncertainty or you need to know the two months? It depends on what we're dealing with. Ah, <laughs> when it comes, when I was healing my gut, I remember somebody saying to me, oh, will you, so your trust is, it sounds like your trust is linked to time. Like you can trust it. She was like, if I said that you're, it was April, I think. And she was like, if I said you'd be healed by August, how would you feel about that? And I was like, great, totally like in faith, I got this. Yeah. But you take away that August and I don't know, Kelsey, I don't know how yeah. long it's going to take. How's your trust going to be then? Oh, super wobbly, super yeah. wobbly. Yeah. Yeah. It's like our, our neighbor next door just had a house built and, and we kept asking her like, what, you know, when can you move in? She goes, I don't know. Well, what does your contractor say? She's like, well, I'm going to ask my contractor. I'm like, well, cause he's building it. She's like, yeah, but he's got to deal with supply chain issues and he's got to deal with other contractors. And she goes, he can tell me Christmas or November, you know, or Thanksgiving. She goes, but. I don't know. And so that's the other thing is like when somebody tells me something, like if they said, okay, well, your gut will be better by August. Like, okay, well, how do you know that? Like, what do I have to do between now and August for that to work? Is it just going to get better on its own? Or, you know, is there any chance it's going to happen? So all of a sudden I'm start questioning the, the timeline somebody gave me. And I, I, I don't think I have, I think I have trust issues. So again, I'd be like, okay, well, based on what, like, what do I have to do? So. Yeah, I think you're right. You want, you want the concreteness. Sure. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, um, okay. So one last question, which might be a lie because I might have more questions after you okay. answer this one, but well, I only have one more answer. So choose it carefully. Oh, well, then I guess. We're- <laughs> <laughs> so my one question is if you could shout something from the rooftops or put it on a billboard, somehow reach the entire world with your mes- message, what is it that you really, truly what does all of you want all of the world to know? To make it a point to connect with somebody else every day. The connection thing is huge. My billboard would be like, it'd probably have a profanity, be like, you know, effing connect with people. But I think, I think connect is, is a weird word because I, I it's not very um, prescriptive, but it's like, talk to another human and find out something about another human like care for somebody beside yourself that's a really long billboard i think all of a sudden but I, oh, i'm paying okay. by word or space, i gave yeah. you like five billboards oh perfect we spread yeah, it like, out we made it like the signs of um that advertise south of the border when you're driving from north carolina to south carolina pedro, <laughs> yeah, pedro knows who's evil. so we we drive we're up in the dc area and we drive to ocala which is where jen's parents live and we always stop at south of the border so that's where we can i've never been allowed to stop <gasps> allowed allowed yeah well no it's funny you say that so i'm pete and jen probably should talk but so like for the longest time i'm like jen can we please stop at south and i would make all these posts about how it was because all the signs taunt you all the way up yeah. and down 95 and i go and i would make a sad face post I'm like jen will let me stop and then finally she let me stop and she now she loves camping there because it's a perfect stopping point but when i <laughs> the first time we stopped there and i opened up the door and i call my best friend she goes what is it like and i go it smells like funnel cakes and dreams it was just everything it was as cheesy as i thought it was going to be it was obnoxious as i thought it would be it was everything i wanted it to be so we always stop there now all right 
All right. Hopefully this was enough of a sales pitch so that we can stop there next time. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So connection though, what is that? Why is that? Why is that your thing? Why is that so important to you? Because I think people are selfish. I'm so, I, I mean, I'm definitely selfish, but, um, So my best friend will tell you, I have this game where, um, and I'm not doing very well on this podcast, but um, I have this game where I like to give out as little information about myself as possible. So when I'm talking to somebody and she'll ask me, she's okay, how was your dinner with so-and-so? I'm like, oh, it was good. She goes, did you win or lose? I'm like, I won or a tie. But I like the more I can get somebody else talking about themselves. And even if I have an opportunity, I had a breakfast once and this woman next to me was talking about her son and he had just become an army pilot and my best friend was sitting next to me and so i just kept asking about her her son and blah 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 and it, it it's not because it, the reason i do it is because the moment was about her pride in her son it wasn't about me i mean i was able to relate and so if there was something i needed to be able to say i can relate to the struggles he's having then it was a time for me to bring it up but we got done and my friend katie's like she goes you never once told her that you were a pilot. I'm like, it wasn't about that. It wasn't, she was very, very proud. Like, what good does it do her to say, oh my gosh, my son just got his wings. He's an army pilot now. And for me to go, oh, that's great. I was an Air Force pilot. Well, that that to me deflates her story. And so it's kind of like, it's okay for me not to, yes, I can relate, but it's it's okay for me not to kind of smother her moment. And so I think a lot of times, we are waiting for our turn to talk. And I think that's been overused as well. But I just, I like to play the game of how much information can I let somebody else give me? And it's not like I'm interrogating them or I'm not contributing at all. But every time I hear a thought, like somebody's bringing up a point and I, like I did it with you with the scuba diving thing. You told me that you're much more comfortable 120 feet under the water. And, and I'm thinking automatically, oh, we have that in common. So I need to spout that out. Well, why? I mean, that, I don't know. I say I'll go back and I'll perseverate over that very fact later today. But, um, but I think connections important. (laughs) Connections important. Thank you. Connections important because I think we got we have to get out of our own head because I think a lot of times we make things worse in our own head um, than they really are. Because I think a lot of times people aren't thinking about us or judging us as much as we think that they're judging us. Now I'm judging people. I I will say that I judge people all the time. But um, I think it's important for us to get out of our own head and to get into somebody else's headspace and kind of sit with them in their world um, during that conversation. So I think connection is important. And I think, I think you learn more about yourself. And again, it's not holding up a mirror for them. It's being the mirror for, for them. Mm, that's beautiful. And trust me and Pete, please, that what you said, it was perfect. And if you sound like an ass, we'll cut it out. Okay, cool. I, I, I don't know my binder. So my friend Katie, I always told her, I was like with the, with the book, you know, when the book was coming out and stuff like that, I said, I'm, I'm finding this fine line between, um, you know, kicking ass and being an asshole. And so we have this, the, the word ass is in a circle in the middle. And on one side, it says kick and the other side says hole. And I said, you know, this is my, my gauge. I'm like, am I being kick ass or am I being an asshole? I said, I don't want to be an asshole, but I don't want, you know, so it's always this, uh, you know, and she's honest with me. We need that. Do you we have a big graphic of that? Because I think you need. I one don't. It's just it's on a post-it, but it's downstairs. <laughs> okay, I'll I bring somebody the crap that out of that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll we'll work on that. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to share with the audience before you go, Mo? 
No, ma'am. This has been a blast, Kelsey. I love, I love what you're doing. I love, I love how you live your life, and I love being a part of it. So this is cool for me. Mm, well, right back at you. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for sharing yourself, and I'm so excited to get more of you. But All right. Last thing. Name of the book yes, again. How can people work with you? How do you work with people, and where can they find you in on the internet? Okay, uh, so the name of the book is Pardon My Quirk, and it's available in digital, paperback, hardback, and I read the audio in this very closet right here. So the audio book is um, done by me with probably some words that aren't in the book. Um, and then, uh, so that's all on Amazon or Audible or whatever that platform is. Um, the, the, the website I send people to is actually my, my FAQ page. It's where most of my irreverence is and you get a flavor of me. So it's mobarrett.com slash FAQ. And I, you know, I have a weekly email that I sent out. I call it my, my Mo Corkatol. So all the quirks of Mo in a somewhat uh, non-FDA approved prescription format. So just uh, once a week. And I don't do one-on-one, -on -one, but I, I love keynoting. I love moderating, emceeing, anything that involves interaction. Um, that's what I live for and just to be able to connect with people. Mm. And did you mention that you have a podcast? I do. It's called the Mo and Katie Show, and it is about, we call it a long-lasting momentary distraction, and it's about gratitude, humor, and positivity, um, and bad puns. Tons of bad It puns. sounds amazing. I can't wait to check it yeah, out. I'll send you, I'll send you, in fact, I, I was telling Katie and another friend of ours, I'm like, I said, I get to talk to Kelsey Abbott today. I said, you guys got to look her up. I go, she is our people. That I. That's exactly what I said to them. You You are, seriously, I... I We'll make it happen that we can all meet. Yes, fun. please. Amazing. Okay. Mo, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to learn more about Mo, go to mobarrett.com. If you want to learn more about me, go to kelseyabbott.com. And if you loved this episode, please share it with your friends. If you love the Find Your Awesome podcast, please leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and share it with all the people. I love you. You're amazing. You're a miracle. You are absolutely positively incredible. Get out there and live your life. Live your wellness. Go forth and be awesome.